Welcome to episode one of the Health Lab podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bland. Very excited about kicking off the first episode with our first guest, Philippe de Klerk. He's the CEO of Back in Motion. And a little bit about his background, he, he trained as a physiotherapist in Belgium before moving to Vancouver in the 90s, eventually moved into more of an administrative role and worked his way up to being the CEO and to overseeing the direction and delivery of Back in Motion and its 300 plus employees and contractors. I really enjoyed the conversation today. We touched on a variety of topics such as Philippe's journey towards becoming a CEO, how he uses mindfulness and exercise to manage stress and to manage time pressures. And really towards the end of the conversation, we got into how to embrace failure and embrace discomfort and use them as learning experiences that you can apply to day-to-day life. Um, Again, I got so much from this episode and I know you will too. So let's get right into it. Philippe, thank you so much for agreeing to be the first guest of hopefully many on on the Health Lab podcast and really excited to to get to know you and, and your background and your story in a little bit more detail, a little bit more depth. And, you know, what I'm always curious about when I you know, when I first start working with someone and, and, and start getting to know them on a on a deeper level is why they chose the path that they did. And I know you're originally trained as, as a physiotherapist and why physio, what attracted you to that in the first place? Um, well, I'll provide you a bit of a, uh, I guess, uh, some background in terms of how I got into physio. Uh, it was a bit of a circuitous way. I was originally planning to become a dentist and back back then, so we're talking over, 40 years ago when I graduated from high school, um, going to dental school in Belgium was, uh, you could st- get straight into dental school. And um, so, but, you know, you did kind of what, similar to pre-med, a few years pre-dental, so to speak, and then get into the more, the more uh, advanced coursework to become a dentist. And uh, then I, I kind of uh, played around to, you know, maybe I should become a veterinarian. I did the first six months of first semester, I did fairly well, but then um, decided, I'm not so sure I want to be, work with the animals. <laughs> and I was really, I was really uh, very, uh, very involved in sports uh, in my late, still in my late teens. I, and uh, I had never heard of physiotherapy until, you know, I spoke with some friends um, that, you know, got injured and, and I thought, oh, I kind of worked for six months and, uh, Roll into enroll into a physiotherapy program. I had no clue what it was about until I actually enrolled into the program and and realized, well, you know, I'd love to work with athletes, but the majority of coursework is actually focused on on athletes, <laughs> which is a bad thing in hindsight, but uh, at the time was kind of a bit of a surprise. Yeah, no, I can I can only imagine. I I myself my my path becoming an occupational therapist somewhat similar in the sense that entering occupational therapy school I really had no idea what it was and I, I kind of like what you mentioned before about how you know you you failed out of um, dentistry school and then dropped out of veterinary school but you know going through these failures and you know essentially for lack of a better word quitting veterinary school led you to becoming a physio and then opened up all these other doors that led you to the course of, of your career. Yeah, it's interesting how life works in that way. Um, I like the way you phrased it, actually. 
I, I literally dropped out um, and um, you know, much to the chagrin of my parents. And, um, and I, yeah, well, I failed out of dental school before I actually started. <laughs> purely based on dexterity testing. It was interesting, it was with mirrors and, you know, I could do it without the mirror, but of course dentists work with mirrors and I, I could not make anything with the mirrors. I couldn't complete any of the tasks. It was quite uh, humbling, actually. If there's such a thing as uh, having something that can humble you at 18. <laughs> Dexterity testing is it then. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And you're from Belgium originally mm-hmm. and you did your training yeah. there. So what, what brought you to Canada? What, what attracted you to, to, to come to this side? Um, I, I have cousins who, um, English cousins and, um, so my, actually my, my mom's uh, first cousin and her best friend essentially that she grew up with, uh, grew up with, um, essentially in the post-war years, my mom was born just before the second world war. Um, so she had an, a couple of aunts actually who had emigrated to the UK, to England. Yeah, I, I was enchanted with Canada and North America. And, you know, going through physio school, as I mentioned earlier, I um, quickly realized that sports, uh, working with athletes wasn't going to be the majority of my career. And, um, and, and at the time in, in Belgium, your early, mid 80s, when I graduated from physio school prior to doing my military service duties, um, I realized quickly that there wasn't going to be a lot of work uh, then. Was, you know, Belgium was going to, through um, recession and um, public sector jobs were limited, very limited in fact. So there, was no op- there were no opportunities in the hospital. And, um, and that's not really where I wanted to land anyway. And, um, and then so I decided, you know, I love, I love the stories about Canada and, and, um, and so explore to the U.S. as well, but realized that Canada was much more similar to, to the environment, like the social, from a social, um, um, yeah, social safety net perspective, quite similar to Canada, like Belgium and Canada, similar in some ways, like, um, medic, like Medicare and, and, uh, and such. So the, the social safety network is there and, or, and um, yeah, so I saw a lot more similarities between Canada and Belgium than between the US and, and Belgium. And so, yeah, that's how I decided to, you know, I wanted to try this out. Come a long way since then and obviously coming over to Vancouver and, you know, working your way and moving from a physiotherapist into more of a leadership role, CEO mm-hmm. of a large or middle-sized organization with how many employees are at Back in Motion now? Um, if you include contractors over 300. Yeah. Okay. So decent Plus. amount of people well, directly underneath you. In terms of becoming a leader, what, what sparked that transition? What was attractive about, about heading in that direction? I've always gravitated for early on when I, I came to Canada uh, towards the, uh, the administrative managerial aspects of uh of the the the, uh the positions that i worked in like i I came to so as i mentioned earlier after my accreditation process i went back to belgium with 
the intention of packing my bags and applying for a job somewhere in Canada. And it was a new program back home at the university, which is you know, an advanced degree or the, or the master's, the professional master's program. And uh, so I decided to, uh, to go back to university rather than going to Canada. So I just delayed it for a couple of years. Um, so, but then when I came back in 1988, after completing my master's, I, um, I worked for what was then work, uh, WCB in, in uh, Ontario, in Toronto. And, um, and, and there were a lot of opportunities there to, to engage in, in doing, um, you know, presentations to physicians, to visitors to the rehab center, I actually opened up a lot of the, the opportunities for me to do other things besides actually the day-to-day -day work in the rehab center as a physio. I, you know, I, I uh, took on doing presentations, um, you know, getting involved with pilot projects and, and so on. So that spurred my interest in, in, in kind of uh, project management in change over time, but remain the same more or less. But uh, the point is that, um, yeah, I, I, I was recruited by Columbia Health and um, within a year they opened up different clinics and um, you know, I applied for a management position for one clinic that they had opened in Burlington, Ontario. And then they were, they had a, a manager that they had let go in, in the center in Hamilton. And so for a while I was the acting manager for two clinic so so that's really spurred my ongoing interest in doing more of the administrative side of things and mind you in those in those days or those that year yeah those two years that i ran two clinics well one clinic and then two clinics at some point i uh, i did both clinical work and and uh, the i guess the uh the management of the clinics yeah Mm, so a combo of the two. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, you know, I've, I've kind of just forayed a little bit into that myself over the last year and, you know, being a manager of a department and, and a clinical lead and, and, and being involved in program development. And, you know, I know there's, there's stresses that are, that are involved in that, that are different from, from being a frontline therapist. And, you know, you yourself being at the head of an organization that has say 300 plus employees or contractors, how do you manage that stress? How do you how do you manage those pressures? Um, well, I have a, a daily practice of um, meditation, so mindfulness meditation that I adopt uh, and I have adopted um, about six seven years ago. I um, that's one thing I do this almost religiously every day, and and if I have it like in the morning. So I get up fairly early in the morning, like around 5.30, between 5.30 and 6. I try to wake up naturally. I have my alarm, but typically I wake up before my alarm. <laughs> uh, and um, so, you know, and, yeah, I would say almost religiously I do it in the morning. And, and lately I have also tried to fit it in for about 15 minutes uh, in the mid-afternoon to, to settle myself and... and um, and you know, try to be present for the remainder of the day. And, and I'll get back to that piece in a few moments, why I do that in the afternoon, but the, or why I started to do this in the afternoon. But, um, you know, I've always been very active, physically active, and that has been truly until about seven years ago, my way to manage stress as best as I could. You know, that's the only way I knew. 
I wasn't certainly, I was aware of meditation, but it was something that others do and, and certainly very few others do. <laughs> um, and, and so I never got into, in, or as I mentioned, I, I heard about it, but wasn't really aware of what that, what, what it was about or how to do it. Or find 10 to 15 minutes in the afternoon to, to meditate and, and, and it actually, you know, settles me down. You know, it's, it's a way to, and typically I try to do it actually say mid, mid afternoon is probably around five. So the, That's interesting. So it's, it's, it sounds relatively regimented for you with respect to mindfulness and, and you mentioned exercise and I want to touch on that a little bit later, but I do, I just have a couple questions about the mindfulness and you know, it's, it's a, it's a trending thing these days with respect mm -hmm. to managing stress, anxiety, um, promoting relaxation, what have you. And I've just started dipping my toes into it over the past few years. And I, I work on it a lot with my clients and, you know, there's so many different concepts with respect mm -hmm. to mindfulness. And I just want to ask, what is mindfulness to you? But to, for me, it's, it's uh, certainly a, a way to settle the brain, you know, that uh, monkey brain, so to speak. And, and, and so in, in that way, also settle the anxiety that relates to needing to get things done, having a whole list of things that need to be done and to get to, that need to be, uh, you know, that, yeah, and that you can't really get to all the time. And it helps to create from my you know, create perspective uh, to create um, help helping in that in that sense also helping to set priorities so yeah so quieting the monkey mind and then um, also as I'm, I think I mentioned a few moments ago it's certainly helping me to be present I mean mindfulness is all about being in the presence uh, and and, and like I mentioned earlier, I've had my share uh, of injuries and, and uh, I have actually uh, spinal stenosis and it's con partly congenital. And then, you know, over the years, of course, some wear and tear and, and I have some uh, significant symptoms as a result of it. And this helps really helps me to manage my symptoms and to continue to be quite active. Um, and so, yeah, so this mindfulness has to summarize for me it's a way to to uh, quiet my monkey mind to be present and to manage my symptoms that's interesting so it, it sounds like you get the psychological benefit of it but you know the physical side of things too that it benefits in terms of say reducing pain what have you discomfort yeah and, and well it obviously doesn't take the pain away but i think it it's, it certainly helps in my case helps me to manage the symptoms in a significant way actually and i mean there's other aspects it's i can't really say it is just mindfulness obviously you know staying active managing my my fitness level um, doing specific exercises to to manage my my different injuries over over the years and and, and uh, health yeah or i should say phys, uh, physical injuries it's interesting that just that that notion of being in the present with respect to mindfulness. And mm -hmm. I, I took a course on it. This is about a year and a half ago. And it was led by, led by a psychologist um, that teaches out of, out of UBC. Um, mm -hmm. And he had us, he gave us all a small box of raisins. 
And he had us individually take out a raisin. And this is over maybe a 15 or a 20 minute period. And he would have us first just press the raisin gently in between our thumb and our forefinger and then bring it up to our ear and just listen to the sound of the raisin squishing and do that for literally something like five minutes of just squishing a raisin into our ear and then doing the same, bringing it up to our nose and then eventually putting it in our mouth and swirling around, getting the sensation of it on our tongue and in our teeth at the roof of our mouth um, before ultimately swallowing it. And even just a practice so simple as that just really helped me to stay grounded and kind of just, again, be, be be in the present, forget about the past, forget about you know, future anxieties, appointments, what have you, that kind of thing. And it really helped to just manage my overall stress. And I think that that really, really resonated with me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's an exercise I'm familiar with yeah, I think from my uh, recall with respect to my introduction to uh, mindfulness is, is the same exercise I was introduced to. So you remind me of this. You know, it's interesting. I mean, applying mindfulness then in, in different aspects of your life. I mean, it's, it's, it truly is a discipline to do, you know, your um, mindfulness session on a daily basis, if, if that's what one chooses to do. Um, at the same time, it, um, it, how it, you know, through, I guess, osmosis and in, in other parts of your life, how it, it, uh, it happens. You know, that, you know, so over time, you suddenly notice uh, subtle things. Like, for instance, I'll use the example of brushing my teeth. You know, typically, you know, in the past, I would have just, you know, tried to do something else. So we're now consciously staying present in terms of brushing your teeth. It seems like a silly example. But also, I think probably something that people can more relate to is um, being mindful when, when eating. For instance, you, you know, you use the example of the raisin, having that raisin in your mouth. You know, we don't necessarily sit, sit still and think about the taste and the juices that come out of chewing on a little raisin. So similarly, I think bringing mindfulness to to eating and when we have meals, I mean, probably, I think, if you bring them that mindfulness, we might see a change in, in some of the eating habits that people have. And, and, and what people eat essentially as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's so valid. And I, I like what you said about just, you know, everyday activities like brushing your teeth and, and eating. And so there's, there's kind of the notion of, of planned mindfulness where you're actually designating a time to doing it and, you know, mm-hmm. say taking 50 minutes out of your day and, 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 you know, engaging in it. And then there's also kind of the unplanned side of things where you're just participating in, you know, everyday life activities of everyday life, but being mindful while doing so as well. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I want to talk more about the exercise side of things too, because, you know, you mentioned, you, you know, you've had some injuries and, but you typically did use exercise as a way to, to reduce stress. And I, I know that, you know, you, you participated in some Ironman triathlons in the past, um, mm-hmm. How many of those have you done? Um, counting now, uh, six. I did six. Yes. Wow! Wow! And you know, I don't know the the. You got to refresh my memory on the total parameters of an Ironman. But what is it? Two hundred k bike and a marathon and a four k swim or something? Yeah, it's it's um, it starts with a swim, like a three point eight k swim, hundred and eighty k bike rides 
and 42k, like a marathon at the end. Yeah, 42, a little over 42k. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. I like myself. I'm I'm just really starting to dip my toes into some of the more more intense endurance competition started doing marathons last year i've got my first 50k trail race uh coming up this fall if it if it can still oh, go through so yeah. really excited and you know i want to i want to ask you philippe what, what what's the appeal what do you get out of doing an ironman and and, and setting such a goal for yourself well first i need to say that I, I haven't done that in 20 years so that's 20 years ago i was in my 30s over 20 years ago and I mean, I, I think, you know, if you if probably would have to look at the arc of my life, so to speak, where, you know, if I look at my 20s and 30s and, and early 40s, even into mid 40s, you know, that part of my life was probably primarily focused on me. You know, it's, it's certainly the pursuit of personal growth and, and, uh, and uh, affirming myself and, and proving myself, so to speak, whether it was through academics uh, pursuing further education, like going back to, to grad school. And you know, uh, in my early 40s, I went back to school again to do an MBA. And so that, that was all part of, you know, affirming myself and, and proving myself. So participating in, 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 a, in a sport that really reflected that was, was really appealing to me in the sense that, you know, I have control over other than flat tire or, and, and um, you know, maybe, uh, well, even bike accidents to a certain extent, you have some control over that, I guess, it's not, not fully, but, but having, you know, a, a large degree of control of the outcome was really appealing to me. And so um, I also like the fact that, um, you know, it was like, it was not like ordinary, quote unquote, ordinary in the sense that it's not, it wasn't a 10K. It was something more than a 10K. So that was also very appealing to me. And, and uh, it was a gradual process. Obviously, you don't start with an Ironman. You start with shorter distances. And, um, and it was, you know, it was fairly, I was never, in the, uh, I never excelled at any sport. It was as good. And picking up sports in general was very easy for me. But I never excelled at any sport. I, you know, I played basketball I played rugby I played soccer you know of course I was I could swim and, and things like that but you know I discovered triathlon and I said well that's something for me and uh, and given my, my desire to, again to you know to prove myself I uh, I just launched myself into triathlons and one one thing led to another I didn't I mean I was you know Ironman is like, yeah, climbing the biggest mountain on the continent, so to speak, right? It's for many people, and, and uh, certainly at the time, it seemed like a bit crazy. And, uh, and then the pinnacle is, uh, is the, the Hawaii Ironman. Like, yeah, so and you did, you did those too, right? Hawaii? Yeah, I, I qualified each time I, I did it. Like, you have to qualify, and you still have to qualify. There's different qualifying races, and there's obviously more, more people who do it now and more races to qualify in um so at the time you, you also had to qualify and and so i qualified each time i i i raced i qualified and so i did uh, hawaii twice yeah wow wow I, I like what you said about it kind of being the the pinnacle of of competition and even what you said before about starting small you know it's not a 10k but you know you 
might start with a 10k or even smaller than that with respect to running and 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 obviously a lot smaller with respect to biking and uh and swimming as well and doing that progressive goal setting which yes. you know in in my day-to-day practice as an ot i doing it daily with my clients starting starting mm-hmm. bare bones getting those goals mm-hmm. getting those successes and, and and victories and then progressing from there is, is are there any transferable skills that that you gained or, or learned from doing such things that you can apply to everyday life most certainly i, I think you know I'm, I'm like i said at the onset i'm not i never excelled at any sports and, and i mean i was quite good in triathlons um because I applied myself and, and um, you know, took a very scientific approach. So were people certainly more talented than I was who didn't do as well. I think there's two reasons. One, because I, I had, um, for my, as I look back on it, one is the, um, the scientific approach that I took to training and, and, and tapering for races and, and using races, like other races as a springboard to, to the ultimate race for the season that I set out for myself for that year. Um, so that's one thing. The, the other reason is um, because I think it was probably mentally a bit strong, stronger and, and not because I'm necessarily a better person or, you know, or, I, I, or that I, I um, yeah, how would I describe that? I'm psychologically stronger than, than, than my friends, for instance, at the time who were also competing. I think it had more to do with the fact that I practiced. I did visualization, for instance. I've always been interested in these types of things, like visualization, relaxation techniques, and so on, even though I wasn't into mindfulness at the time. Um, so there's some, so that, and um, so, but then, you know, as, as you get into races, you, you know, you, you encounter some difficulties, you know, in your training, you may have some setbacks too. Um, you know, what's transferable here is that you will have setbacks and how you respond to these setbacks and what you do with them and being flexible, adaptable with your training, for instance, if you had a week where you were sick, rather than tr- trying to, to train through your sickness, you know, you just take the timeouts. Maybe your body telling that you need to break and um, and not resuming the volume that you were doing prior to that maybe taking and you know and in races too you will have in an ironman race to, in an iron like a race of that distance and that's in it, it's not dissimilar to a marathon and what you know you just described the 50k run or a, there will be low points undoubtedly and you, you mentally prepare yourself for these moments and and what, how you will respond in those moments, you know, the self-talk. And so what I learned from doing Ironmans is that one, there's always going to be low points, how you deal with them, uh, being persistent, adaptable, um, and, um, and having, and, and actually enjoying also the, the process. I really enjoyed the process of training, um, going to the race, knowing that, you know, I've done everything I can do, Given the circumstances, there's always going to be always something that's going to happen throughout the year that's going to throw you off a bit. So, and and then yeah, enjoy enjoy the road, the process, and you know, when you get to the finish line, and even if you haven't totally achieved your goal, you you still had a good time. That's that's uh, it's incredible. This the direct application to just life in general, 
it sounds mm-hmm. like. Um, and even just you're mentioning, you know, enjoy the ride. You know, there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. You need to be adaptable. You're going to be uncomfortable, but also manage your expectations and, and, and be realistic yeah. when you know you have to tone things down or, or check yourself a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as you, as you mentioned that, what also comes to mind is that now, there will be, you know, like I mentioned, sickness, but there also you sometimes, you know, in your training, you, you know, you tinker with something and, and, and it doesn't work out. And rather than seeing this as a failure, you know, it's something you learn. And, and actually that failure is a way of moving forward, um, you know, without, without failure, you know, there's no way forward, essentially. The two go hand in hand. And that's part of any growth process, essentially. And, uh, and you will have bad races. And a bad race is not, it's maybe a bad experience in the moment, but it's a, something to learn from that. What was, what led to that bad race? And maybe it was just, you know, overtraining. Uh, maybe it was uh, just a bad day. You know, sometimes you can't explain it and that's okay too. You know, accepting that bad days is part of life. So, so appropriate. And, you know, Philippe, I think that's, that's an excellent take home message from this whole conversation is just, you know, bad days, they, they, they are a part of life and they're going to happen and you're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs and taking every experience as a learning experience. And I like what you said as well about just kind of being uncomfortable too. And, and, you know, growth, growth doesn't happen without being uncomfortable. If you walk around the same block every day, once for the rest of your life, you'll get great at walking around that one block but what else will you get good at? So it's about pushing to different blocks, different scenarios, different, different uh, tasks and activities and, and pushing your limits. But, but like you said, being realistic about things and, and, and knowing when to dial it back as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Excellent. That's great, Philippe. Well, you, you know, thanks so much for, for joining me today. Um, any, any closing, closing statements or takeaways that, that you'd like to, like to end on? Um. Well, no, no I, it was a pleasure for me to have this conversation with you, Joel. I am um, really uh, honored that uh, you had me as your, your first guest. <laughs> and uh, I, I look forward to uh, maybe con- continuing this conversation at some point f- further into the future. Um, you know, I, 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 maybe to, to, from my perspective, it's, uh, you know, we, we've gone through a really rough time as an organization, you know, obviously COVID and, you know, current social unrest um, across North America, or particularly in the U.S. and now the rest of the world to a certain extent. And, um, you know, you, you quite eloquently uh, used the example of sports and, and in, this, in this case, you know, marathon or, or, or triathlons as a, as a, as a metaphor for life, so to speak. And, and, you know, and growth is only going to happen if we, if we actually uh, know how to deal with, with um, these crises and, uh, and that, you know, life is, is about um, being adaptable and, and um, use this and, and see where the opportunities are perhaps. Indeed, indeed. And that, that resonates strongly with me as well. So yeah, I, I look forward to continuing this conversation as well. And again, thanks so much for being the first guest and uh, again, first of many. So much appreciated, Philippe, and uh, best you. of luck with everything going forward. Thank you. Same with you and uh, have a good weekend. All right. Take care.
Well, there you have it, folks. Philippe de Klerk. I really enjoyed speaking with Philippe today. Again, about his background, his history, what he has done to overcome health and overcome adversity. And if you enjoyed that episode and you want to learn more about Back in Motion or more about Philippe, visit us online at www.backinmotion.com. Like us on Instagram at backinmotion underscore health or visit us on Facebook, facebook.com slash backinmotionhealth. And don't forget to join us in two weeks' time. The episode will be featuring Dr. John McDonald, who is a psychologist based out of the Vancouver area. We will talk about John's philosophy as a psychologist, his approaches to practice, and any insightful tips or strategies that he might be able to provide to any listeners out there who are just looking to take control of their health and lead happier, healthier lives. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy. Have a nice day, folks.